0: You guys, may be seated. Before I start my message, I just want to say um, I heard, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that over in Texas they've asked churches to go back to virtual church, back to video uh, services because they're spiking over in Texas. Um, we haven't had that request here in Louisiana yet, but just be aware that if we have to do that, we will uh, to keep everybody safe and to um, to be able to abide by. Um, the, the desires of our, of our leaders in this state. So uh, while we don't anticipate that yet, um, if, if things keep moving in this area, they may ask us to do that. And, and my plans are to comply with our government and to do what they ask us to do uh, for the safety of our folks and, and the safety of those around us. And so uh, we'll just keep an eye on it. We will try to keep you posted as things develop so that we can uh, do what we need to do to worship together, but also to make sure that we keep our folks safe. Alright, we are back in Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, I wish that you would open up and kind of follow along with us. Uh, we're looking at this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is gathered with a bunch of people on the side of a mountain. He is teaching and, and proclaiming. And just want to start off by saying tonight that, that nothing that Jesus did was random. Um, he didn't just do stuff off the, 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 the cuff. He didn't just do things that, that were just random and had no meaning at all. Each act that he did... Served a purpose. Each word that he spoke, I believe, had a a meaning and a message. Uh, Every message that he spoke, I believe, was divinely inspired by the Lord. And so, uh, tonight is going to be another one of those nights where we look at something that's 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 inspired by God. It's spoken by the Lord. It's revealed to us through Christ. But uh, but. I just want you to realize this was not just a, a thrown together at the last minute message. This is something I believe that the Holy Spirit gave to the Lord to speak to us. And as we've seen the, last past, the past several weeks, the topics that Jesus is addressing are issues that desperately needed to be corrected in that day and time. Uh, this is his first public message. Let's put that back in context, okay? This is the first big public message that Jesus has spoken. He is casting vision. He's laying a foundation for those that he's going to call, those that will follow him, and those that will become the church of Jesus Christ that will carry the gospel forward and bring it to us. So uh, what he's doing now is is laying this foundation of of what it's going to mean to be his followers. Uh, He's already addressed some issues here. He said that, that the people had been taught that it was okay for them to be angry as long as they just didn't kill somebody, that it was okay for men to lust after women just as long as they don't touch. It's okay to look, just don't touch was the teaching. Uh, He said it was okay to get divorced and have any woman that you want. Just make sure that the paperwork is in order. Those were the things that they had been taught in that day. Jesus comes back and insists that anger flowed from the same heart as murder, that lust was already adultery, and that divorce inevitably ended up with uh, some form of adultery involved in that. Um, And so Jesus... uh, speaks today, and its message today is, is really no different. It's, uh, it's today where Jesus is going to come and confront this twisted teaching that was put out there by the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders that basically said, and here's what Jesus is going to spend uh, time refuting today, it's okay to make an oath and to break it if you don't make the oath in God's name. So I can make you a promise, and as long as I don't say, look, I promise... In the name of jesus that i 'm going to do this, then you could make the oath and break it, but any oath that you made in the name of the Lord had to be fulfilled, and that was the teaching that they were doing again these these Pharisees and these teachers of the law were were the lords of the loopholes. they loved to find a way to get around things, they would take scripture, twist it, and make it say what they wanted it to say, so that they could stand justified in their own eyes, they could stand. Uh, holy and righteous and say, well, I, that wasn't a sin because I didn't attach God's name to it. So he's going to, to confront this, this twisted teaching that they used in order to justify breaking their word and telling lies. In Matthew five thirty three to 37, um, this is what Jesus says. He says, again, you have heard, remember that, that little refrain, you have heard, but I say to you. Here he is again. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for that's God's throne, or by the earth, because that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Delbert, you got that? All right. I got black and white, so I don't know how we do that, okay? And then he summarizes right here. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So so what's Jesus saying here? Is he saying don't ever make a promise? Don't ever make an oath? Don't ever, don't ever, because when he says here, you know, don't swear, he's not talking about swear words. He's not talking about cuss words to to, to, in, in this context, what Jesus is saying by the word swear is not don't cuss. He's saying don't make these promises. Don't swear that I'm going to do something. Okay, And so that's what he's telling them that they are to avoid doing. So what's going on that would prompt Jesus to include something like this in his first message, his foundation-laying, vision-casting sermon? Why would it be so important that Jesus include this and that he include this rebuke to the people? Well, what was going on in that day, and this is where it kind of helps to know the background, is that they would make oaths or vows or promises, and those oaths and vows and promises had become a way to add weight to what they were actually saying. So a a person who who was trying to convince you of something that sounded way too good to be true would attach an oath to it. So it it was their way to add weight to a person's statement that otherwise would lack credibility in order to make it sound more credible so if I'm trying to sell you something I might add an oath to it to say man I promise you this used car with 450,000 miles on it it's still got another 450,000 miles on it I promise you and they would make these promises to add weight to statements that otherwise would sound too ridiculous to be true and and they would make these vows and these promises to to each other. And so these oaths or these vows were kind of like exclamation points that they would put at the end of these promises, at the end of these statements that they were trying to do. Growing up as kids, it was nothing to hear a kid say, man, I cross my heart, I hope to die, right? You ever heard that? Okay. Um, You've heard people say, well, I, I swear on my mother's grave. You know, some of their mothers weren't even dead yet, <laughs> but, but they, those are the kind of things they would do. They add these weights to their statement to try to get you to believe that what they're saying was true. Uh, in seminary, there was an old joke that the professors used to say. They said, when you've got a weak point in your sermon, just say it loud and hit the pulpit. That extra, ah, make people think you really know what you're saying when you don't. That's the kind of stuff that's going on here in this passage is that, that these oaths were so common in that day that, that when they had a, 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 a message that nobody else would believe, they would add an oath to it, to add weight to that oath to get people to try to believe it. If you go to a courthouse, or used to if you go to a courthouse, they would swear in the person giving testimony, right? Place your hand upon the Bible, raise your right hand, repeat after me. Do you, do you promise what? To tell the truth the whole truth you've been to court Betty. <laughs> okay do you swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me god right that was a few years back today we get the bible out of the courtroom right just raise your right hand do you swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth take god take the bible out what do you got left just that person's opinion right what we were saying before, when we said, you swear to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, we're saying, with the Bible and with God as my, as my measurement and as my witness, I promise that what I'm going to say, I promise before God to be as honest as God's Word. And, and, and that was an oath that you gave when you stood on the, on the stand to, to give testimony, that what I'm about to say is true. And I promise you, in the name of God, I promise you that that's true. And, and so this was what was done. We took God and the Bible out, and now it's just reliable as a person himself. And so what, what we see in our day and time is no different than what Jesus saw in his day and time, where people make these vows or these promises, and, and they do so in order to add weight to their words. Now, I want to be clear. The, the Bible gives permission for folks to make oaths, okay? So when we read this, you think, Jesus says, don't, don't, don't make any more oaths. Don't make any more promises, and Jesus is not changing the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we'll look at some Scriptures in a minute, where it is, it is commanded that you make an oath. It's, it's, it's expected and it's permitted that you can make an oath. And so Jesus is not trying to say we can't make any more oaths. Scripture allowed for the practice of, of making oaths. But it was never intended for frivolous things. When God allowed them to make an oath before the Lord, to make an oath to one another, it was never over just the, the everyday conversation. It was about important things, things that were serious, not just in everyday conversations. For example, in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord, or he takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but he must do everything he said. Now, what's that passage saying? That passage is saying when you make a vow, keep your promise. Be a man or a woman of your word. When a man makes a vow, he must not break his word. That's what it's saying. Do you know how they interpreted it in that day? Here's what the leaders said in that day He just said there, if it was a vow made to the Lord, you had to keep it, but not the promise I made to Margaret. That's how they would interpret that. Because the passage says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord. See, he's not talking about me making a promise to Charles or or, or to Norris or to anybody else. He's making about about me making a promise to the Lord, and that's the only promise I got to keep. That's what's the twisted teaching. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. He says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. What did Jesus or what did what did the, the the Old Testament mean? Broken promises. Profane, they take away from the name of God. What did they teach? Well, if you make a promise in God's name, then you need to keep it because that reflects on God, but all the other promises don't. What's just between you and me doesn't, doesn't affect God, doesn't, doesn't reflect well or, or, or bad on God's name. So, there, again, they would take pieces of these verses and, and try to emphasize that. Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God... Again, the Old Testament making allowances for us to make vows. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you'll not, you'll not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. What's that passage teaching? Do what you say you're going to do. If you make the vow to the Lord freely to the Lord, you need to keep that vow. God's going to hold you accountable. How did they interpret that? Again, that's just the vows that you made to God. It's not the vows we make to one another. And so here they are with this twisted teaching. They were the Lord of the loopholes. They were finding ways to sound truthful without requiring truthfulness. Uh, A way for me to convince you to listen and believe me without me ever having to follow through on that. And so there was a lot of promises made with with little intention to follow through on that. Margaret, can I borrow a million dollars? Yeah, I'll pay you back on Monday. Remember the old Popeye, we used to watch Popeye as a kid? And and, and who was it, Linus? Or, no, it was the guy that ate the hamburger. What was his name? Come on, help me out here. Remember, if you just give me money for a burger today, I'll pay you back on Wednesday. You know, it was always... Come on, you guys, I mean, y'all are just... I thought y'all would know that. Okay, here's the deal. Making a promise with no intention to pay it back. That was their thing. But if I didn't make it in God's name or I didn't make it to the Lord, then I I really didn't have to pay that back. I could get away with that. So what ends up happening is people's words become meaningless. Their promise, their vows became meaningless. Uh, and, And it's interesting that they found a way to sound truthful without requiring them to actually be truthful. And again, it's part of Satan's trick to promise something that he never will deliver. To to hold a carrot out there on a stick but never let you quite get to it. He promises us stuff. That's how Satan gets us to sin. That's how he tempts us is to to put stuff out in front of us and promises us that if we just do this or just have that or just achieve this that that our life will be the best that it could ever be. And it never is. It's an empty promise. Now by Jesus' day... These guys had perfected the art of lying intentionally. They had figured out how to do it without getting their fingers dirty. How to to do it in a way that, that put a spin on it that they could come out smelling like a rose. And we thought that political spin was something new to our generation, right? This is what these guys are all about. Matthew 23, Jesus comes back. Again, what we see in this Sermon on the Mount, most of the, most of the components of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to introduce here, and then he's going to unpack later on. So here he's talking about os in Matthew chapter 5, but then in Matthew 23, he comes back to the same topic. And he hits on it again. In fact, he issues a scathing rebuke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. It's a part of the the, the woes that Jesus speaks to them. And, And here's what he says. He says, woe to you. Listen to the words that Jesus uses now. This is later in his ministry. But the words that he uses to describe the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. He says, woe to you, you blind guides. For you say, if anyone swears by the temple, that doesn't mean anything. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by that oath. Listen to these ridiculous rules, okay? you got the temple that, that's, that's built and it's covered in gold. If you swear your promise and your oath on the temple, it doesn't mean anything. But man, if you swear it on the gold that covers that post in the temple, then you gotta, you, that's, that's a big deal. You've got to keep that word. They had all these rules that they made up. It was For us to read, it sounds kind of crazy. Then he says in verse 17, he says, You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You, you've missed the whole point here, Jesus is saying. You also say, verse 18, If anyone swears by the altar, ah, that means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he's bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift? or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Again, Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point of these oaths. You're missing the whole point of what you're doing. You've made up a bunch of rules that are nonsense, Jesus says. And then he says in verse 20, Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. He's saying when you make a promise to man, you're making a promise to God. When a husband and wife stand before the pastor and, and they say, I do, to each other, they're also saying, I do, to the Lord, right? It, it's a promise that we make not just To one another but it's a promise that we're making to God because when we give our word as believers that word ought to be gold that word ought to be good that word ought to be something that people could take to the bank in days gone by it was my word and a handshake right and that was all we needed now it's my word it's a legal contract (laughs) okay it's it takes when we bought our house in lake charles i know we went through five pens trying to sign all the paperwork you had to sign to buy a house um, when I had to go through the paperwork to to get Chuck and Teresa in the nursing home, my goodness, just you just don't know. It's just we we live in a world where people's word doesn't mean anything anymore. So now we have to put it all in writing, and it all has to be documented. and And, and people have made millions of dollars off of writing these legal contracts to cover every single kind of thing that you can imagine might happen. Okay, that's the world we live in. That's the reason is that man's word no longer means anything. Jesus says when you give your word, you give your word. They were making fine distinctions here. And Jesus says there's no distinction at all. An oath is an oath. And it's meant to be kept. In their eyes, vows that were made in God's name had to be kept. Other other oaths that you made were, were optional. So what they would try to do is to get as close to using god's name as they could without crossing that line so that's where they would come in and say well i I swear by the temple oh that's a big deal to god right yeah but that's not really in god's name that's just the temple Or, or i swear by the altar that's a big part of the temple but not by the animal on the altar and so they made all these little loopholes, all these little fine... They would try to get just as close to it as they could without crossing the line. Remember last week we talked about how that people will, will, will use words that sound like cuss words but aren't really cuss words to get as close to sounding like that so you know what they mean without saying it? This is the same principle here. It's just with oaths and promises that they're making to each other. How close can we get without violating ourselves? And so that's what they would do. They would swear by the temple, but not the gold. They would swear by the altar, but not the animal. And Jesus says that's, that's hypocritical. The gold is made sacred by the temple, and the offerings made sacred by, by, by the altar. And, and so back in Matthew 5, 34, the, the passage we looked at in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem nor or by your head. But because all of that stuff, when you give your word, you give your word. It's not by what you, you attach to it. So Jesus is saying here, stop all this swearing. Stop all this, this foolish promising when you have no intent to keep that. It's getting out of hand, Jesus says, and it's unnecessary. Now, this practice was so common that, that oaths had lost all their significance. It was just a tool to fool is what it was. It was, a, it was an instrument that people would use to be able to fool other people into following them or giving them something that they wanted. So it was just a tool to fool. Now, what was interesting about this is everybody knew it, and everybody was doing it, and everybody acted like it's just okay. It's just a, you got to get along, get a, get a little to get a little. You know, you just, you just you go along to get along. You know, it's just that whole thing where you just, everybody knew it was going on, and everybody just kind of looked the other way. It's like, we, we know that this is what's happening. We know when somebody says, I promise, that doesn't mean anything anymore. But if I can convince you, then you're the fool and I'm not. And that's what was taking place. So everybody was doing it. Everybody knew it was being done. And everybody just acted like they were okay with it. It was almost like a game of who can be the most convincing liar. And the better you were with your words, and the better you were with crafting statements, the more convincing you sounded and the more you could get away with. So What's wrong with that? I mean, if everybody knows this is a game we play, if everybody knows this is how the world goes around, if this is just the way that it is, then what's wrong with that? If everybody knows the rules and everybody's accepted the rules, what's wrong with that? I can think of four things real quick that are wrong with that kind of a a game, that kind of an approach to, to truth. Number one, the Bible says that God despises a lying tongue, and he hates a false lip. Number two, lies destroy our integrity with people around us. Number three, lies erode our confidence in truth. Can anybody even know the truth anymore? I don't know how many people I've heard over the last two years that have said with with the political climate that we've got, I just don't even know what's true anymore. I don't don't even know if you can know the truth anymore because this news station says this and this one says that and that one says that and, 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 and we don't even know what the truth is anymore. Why? Because truth has been eroded. Our confidence in the truth has been eroded. But probably the most important thing that I find wrong with this attitude is that these lies would hinder the spread of the gospel. Jesus is putting this in his first message because those who he's going to call and those who are going to come need to know this is a movement that's going to be built on truth. Truth has got to be foundational to the, to the, to the movement of Christianity. And, and here's the deal, guys. If I go out and I speak lies on just everyday stuff, then when I'm ready to talk about the important stuff and I'm ready to give somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, are they going to have confidence in what I say? Not at all. If I can speak lies all day long, and then when it really gets serious and God opens the door for me to share the gospel, people are going to say, how do I know this is not a lie? It erodes and hinders the spread of the gospel. Now, I'm going to be honest and truthful since we're speaking about speaking truth. I hope I do that every week. But as I thought about this message, man, I started in my little notebook, I started writing down all these different examples of folks who don't tell the truth. I wanted to illustrate this message with politicians and presidents and police officers and preachers who've lied and got caught. I thought That'd be a great illustration for this. And so I made my little list. <laughs> okay, here we go. And I mean, you can, you can write a lot on that kind of topic, right? You know, all this stuff in our climate today of all these people. And, and I looked at that, and man, I felt pretty good. I thought, man, these guys are terrible. And this perfectly illustrates what we're talking about. And we could hold those guys up as examples of what we should not do. And this is what God said to me. He says, Rob, pointing out their sin, that's an easy out. It's an easy target. We could talk for 30 minutes, discuss the evils of other people lying. Everybody here say, amen, let's don't do that. It's wrong. And we could all go home feeling pretty smug, right? That's a safe sermon. But it's a whole other ballgame when we say, let's don't worry about them. Let's look at us. It's a whole other ball ballgame when we say, you know what? I expect that from politicians. I expect that from other people. I expect that from people that aren't believers in Christ. But what about us? What about our relationship with the Lord? It's a whole other ball ballgame to look at our own lies. I started thinking about how to group these different lies that we tell each other. There's lies of deception, I think, that we participate in sometimes, where I try to cover my mistakes because there's something inside of me that says, I need to be perfect in order for you to love me. So I just want to cover up all my blemishes, and, 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 and we'll just kind of cover up all the warts so that nobody sees that. And that's a, a lie of deception. Also in that category would be never admitting that I'm at fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's problem sometimes we try to hide the truth and we keep our 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 secrets hidden in the closet sometimes this this lie of deception is just denying something that i did and you swear i swear i didn't do that you know i i i don't have i don't have a clue what happened there and sometimes that's a lie sometimes it's just the opposite is taking credit for doing something that you didn't do and we go that direction sometimes Sometimes it's redirecting attention away from me onto others than by, by saying, well, I'm not as bad as, oh, so-and-so down the road. Sometimes it's directing attention away from them onto me. Well, I'm better than that. I mean, you think that's good? Let me tell you what I've done. And we get into this whole thing back and forth, and those are, those are lies of deception. We've also got these lies of pretending, pretending that I'm something that I'm not. And I do that by making known my strengths while denying that I have any weaknesses. By pretending that I've got everything together when really I'm falling apart. By pretending that I never lie when that in itself is a lie. There's lies of exaggeration. Now, I've never been guilty of exaggerating, have I, baby? I'm from Texas, and that just that's part of the territory, I think. Lies of exaggeration, making things sound bigger and better than they really are, or making things sound smaller than they really are. It's not that bad, <laughs> you know, come on. Uh, embellishing the truth to make it sound more interesting. The old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. You, you know, that, that's kind of the motto of news today, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's bad, then we're going to put that up first and the problem with that is it desensitizes us to just truth so somebody comes to tell you a story and there's no embellishment there's no exaggeration and you go oh, i thought you were going to tell me something good <laughs> you know we just had this grandbaby yeah I thought you were going to tell me like he's already walking or something. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Just just truth by itself is no longer impressive because we've we've gotten so used to this exaggeration of everything that that it's got to be bigger and better. And truth is just not interesting anymore by itself. Got the lies of broken promises, which is what these guys were guilty of. You make a promise you can't keep, or you make a promise you never intend to keep, or you make a promise that you could keep and you intend to keep, but you just never get around to keeping it. And those are broken promises. And here's the problem, is that every lie we tell, whether it's great or small, it chips away at our integrity. It cheapens our word the next time we speak. You ever had somebody lie to you and then come back and want to talk to you later and tell you another story and expect you to believe that? And you go, whoa, 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 last time you were here you lied. I don't know if I'm ready to believe you this time. That happens, and it chips away at our, our, our integrity, it cheapens our word And then what it really does is require a more exaggerated explanation to get you to believe the next time. So beware when you hear phrases like, this is the greatest ever. This is the biggest, the best, the baddest. This is is the most. Those kind of phrases are usually huge exaggerations by people who are trying to sell you something that's not true, get you to believe something that's unbelievable. And this is where the people of Jesus' day found themselves. Truth had had been discarded for lies, and so they had to keep adding to their statements to make them sound bigger and better and more believable to get people to believe them and to accept them. They needed a way to convince others that their statements were true. They added these oaths, and they would say, I swear by, and they would add on the end of that to get you to try to believe that what they were saying was true. But it wasn't long before everything they conveyed carried no weight at all. In fact, one commentary said this. He said, it got so bad in Jesus' day that when other people heard somebody begin to attach an oath to a statement, their first thought was, here goes another lie. They they just didn't have a stomach for it anymore. It's kind of reminiscent of the old saying, how can you tell when a liar's lying? When his lips start moving. (laughs) That was where they were in that day and time. That's where they were. So their word meant nothing, and everybody knew it. Skepticism reigned. Authority was forfeited. Truth was denied. People said, I, I, can't think, I don't think I can know anything for sure anymore. I don't know who I can trust and who I can believe. I don't know who to listen to. Does that sound familiar today? you got these guys who say, trust nobody but me. I'm the only one that's going to tell you the truth. And that ought to scare us as well. So here's the real problem for us as the church is that if our world, if our word, I'm sorry, if our word cannot be trusted on the small, everyday stuff, the normal conversations that we have with one another, if I can't trust your word and if you can't trust my word, and if the world can't trust our word, then how can people trust us on the important stuff? If our word means nothing because our promises mean nothing, then how is the church going to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ? How will we point people to Christ? Because the only instrument that we have to point the lost to Christ is our testimony backed up by a life of integrity. And if we have forfeited that in everyday conversations, by exaggerations or by lies or by deception, then when it comes time to talk about the important stuff, nobody's going to believe what we have to say. So if my word's not trustworthy, then the world will not see the gospel as being trustworthy either. So you can see why there's so much writing on this issue of integrity. If the world can't trust us, then how will they trust the God that we claim to follow? If The world has no confidence in my word, then it's going to have no confidence in the gospel that I share. They'll simply think the gospel is another deceptive ploy designed for me to gain control over them or for us to get something from them? You ever had somebody say, this is too good to be true. What's the catch? What's the catch? You share the gospel with people and they go, okay, this is too good to be true. What's the catch? What are you, what are you trying to get from me? You know? Um, integrity is, is everything. And integrity must permeate everything that we do, large and small. So when we speak or we text or we tweet or we share or we like we need to do so carefully. We need to do so with integrity. We need to make sure that what we share and what we like and what we tweet and what we retweet is, is true, but also that it's needed. Sometimes I say, well, I thought that was true. Okay, but even if it was true, is that really needed? Does that build up anybody anybody the bible says that we need to make sure that what we speak and what we share is beneficial for the building up of others let's make sure let's apply those rules before we speak and before we share let's look at that and see because our words have got to carry weight they ought to matter when we speak but if our words lack integrity then they won't matter for long and 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 what we say about everyday things will directly impact what we say and what others hear about the eternal things that we want to talk about now here's the neat part is that God's word is weighty enough you don't have to add weight to this because it's true we don't have to embellish the stories. We don't have to, to change the word of God to fit culture. This is weighty enough by itself. I don't have to alter it, change it, spice it up, dress it up. I don't have to to to, to, to be I just need to read it, listen to it, obey it and communicate it, right? It, it's weighty by itself. It's true. But when the messenger's not trustworthy, then people discount the message and they discard the message. And, and let me say this, because we're, we're going to be moving into a season, I don't know what it's going to look like with COVID and all that, but a season to where you and I are going to be bombarded with political messages from now through the elections in November. We've got to be careful. There, there's a real danger for the church. When the church begins to align itself with parties or with particular individuals and not with the principles of Scripture. Does that make sense? We've, we've got to be careful because when we align ourselves with groups or with people that are not speaking the truth, whether it's religion, politics, or our personal relationships, when we do that, we forfeit our own credibility in the eyes of others. So we've got to be so careful um, how we move forward because when I line myself up, when when preachers get in bed with politicians and that politician turns out to be rotten, that discounts the preacher, doesn't it? When Christians don't look at character and other things and just, just say, well, this is my party or this is my platform, we lose credibility in the eyes of those who may not see it the way that we see it. And so we've got to be very careful. The the gospel doesn't need us to add weight to it. It doesn't need us to exaggerate it. It just needs us to live it out. And so we've got to do that. And Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, even in the everyday stuff of life. That's called integrity. Integrity. So we want to let our word mean something. Let it stand on its own. Sometimes we talk so much, and I, I say we, I can just say me. Sometimes I talk so much. the Stuff comes out that later on I go, man, that, that wasn't even true. And I think about this passage in Proverbs ten nineteen that says, When your words are many, sin is not absent. <laughs> but he who holds his tongue is wise. Let that sink in for just a minute. When words are plenty or many, sin is not absent. In other words, you just let your mouth run. Sooner or later, it's just going—it's going to get off track. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So maybe we as believers should speak less. And then when we do speak, maybe it would mean more. You ever had a friend like that who's real quiet? Maybe in your small group, you know, somebody like Betty who just stays so quiet never says a word. But we all know people that, that are really quiet. And they may come to your group, may be in the group six weeks and never say a word. But when they finally open their mouth, you go, wow, this person's deep. This person's got something worth listening to. They, they've learned what that Proverbs passage means. You don't have to say a lot to express a lot. And sometimes those who say the most, just people get tired of hearing and they just tune them out. And he says, look, don't don't do that. Live, Live and speak in such a way that people can trust your word. don't need to lie. You don't need to break your promises. If you say something, then make sure you do it because the effectiveness of the gospel has always been predicated upon the integrity of its communicators. And when we forfeit our integrity, we lose our voice. We lose our voice. We cannot forfeit our integrity we cannot look the other way while the world plays its game and get in bed with them and play the game with them and expect to still have integrity that people will respect and will listen to can't do that integrity is essential so why did jesus address this so early in his ministry because his followers would have to be different than the leaders of that day his followers would need integrity in order to succeed it's going to be essential. And and, and so if integrity is essential, and if we've all fallen short in this area of integrity, what's the answer, and how do we fix the problem, and how do we restore credibility and integrity? And I jotted down a few things I'll close with tonight. I think first we need to admit our true condition, that, that we tend to be more like the world than we do like Christ, that our hearts are wicked and our hearts are deceptive, And if our words flow from our heart and our hearts are deceptive, then our words are going to be deceptive. Maybe we should cry out like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when Isaiah went to the temple and the presence of the Lord filled the temple and the the temple shook and Isaiah was there in the presence of the Lord and he cried out in Isaiah 6, 5? He said, Woe to me, for I am ruined. Listen to his confession. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord almighty so he's in God's presence, he's under God's conviction and he saw his sinfulness and he said woe to me I'm ruined I'm a man of unclean lips I've spoken things that aren't true so we need to admit that before the Lord I think the second thing we need to do is to admit that we can't change our own hearts. This has become so real to me in this series because I've always thought, well, I just need to grab my heart and I just need to make it do what it's supposed to do. And there's a great freedom, guys, in realizing that I can't change my heart. getting on my knees before the Lord each day and saying, Lord, I know where my heart will go if you don't guide it. I know where I'm going to end up if I don't surrender this day and this moment to you. And so we admit that we can't even change our heart, that we're going to need God's help to do that. Again, Isaiah, verses 6 and 7, chapter 6, 6 and 7, it says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. When I confess my sins and when I admit that I can't do this, God takes care of that. He touches your lips, removes your guilt, your sin is atoned for. So we've got to come before the Lord with humility, confession. The third thing, we come and we believe the truth of the gospel. This is the biggest thing I think that will help us with, with telling the truth with not exaggerating, with not having to deceive people, with not trying to hide things from others? Is this believing the truth of the gospel? See, I don't need to lie to others. I don't need to deceive them into thinking that I'm something that I'm not. I don't need to exaggerate who I am and what I've done in order to be accepted because by God's grace, I've already been made acceptable. By His work on the cross, He has already made me acceptable to Him. So I don't have to spend my life trying to impress people. I don't have to spend my life trying to find a loophole so I don't accidentally do something that somebody could tag me with. I can admit my frailties and call upon the Lord and ask for help. I can believe the truth that He already loves me. I don't need to be perfect to be loved. I'm already loved beyond words. I just need to learn to stand in God's grace and let Him find a way to use me, warts and all. Isaiah's whole mindset changes because of this cleansing and because of this this atonement. By the time we get to verses 8 and 9, he says this, God asks the question, who shall I send and who will go? And Isaiah, who's just said, I am ruined and I am in trouble. Now's been changed, and he's the one that stands and says, Here I am. You send me. I ain't much, but you can send me. You can you could do that. And God's response was, You go. And you tell. By the way, you're going to tell them some things they ain't going to like. And their hearts are going to get hard, and they're going to want to put you on the chopping block. But, but Isaiah, I'm going to use you when we stop pretending and get honest with God and admit our weaknesses and say, Lord, I can't do this and I want to do this, but I I just can't do this. God steps in and changes us and then he sends us. And finally, I would say, if we want the world to believe us when we speak, what we need are not bigger promises, greater oaths, bigger exaggerations. We just need the power that comes with integrity. Our words need weight, and that weight comes from our integrity every day, speaking the truth, living out the truth, fulfilling our promises, following through on what we say, because nothing drains our words of their weight faster than a lack of integrity. It's that lack of integrity that that pulls the plug, that drains the weight of our, our words, So in this passage, Jesus is not banning all vows. Scripture allows it. In fact, God makes vows, and Jesus made vows. The apostles made vows. So he's not banning all vows. But what he's saying is this. The weight of your words come from a life of integrity, not from empty promises that you make to the world. So live with integrity. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, and if you need anything more than that, it's because you've fallen for the lie of Satan and you're, you, you've just, you just missed it. The weight of your words will come from a life of integrity. So in a world that we live in today filled with skeptics, Christians who are full of integrity are desperately needed. The Gospel calls you and I to be those kind of people. So tonight as we close... Would you call out to God and ask Him to search your heart? And if there's, li- if there's areas of your heart where you've lied, if there's secrets that you've hidden, if there's things that are just not the way that they ought to be, would you do what Isaiah does and say, Woe is me, Lord, and come clean? Would you ask Him to forgive you and to restore your integrity? Would you ask Him to help you to guard your words carefully so that what you speak is truth? and help you to speak the truth in love. And as God cleanses you, then you could be like Isaiah, who says, Lord, I want to leave here different, and I want to go, and I want to speak words of integrity to my world, so that people can know Jesus. The biggest problem with believers not telling the truth is that when it comes time to speak the important stuff, guys, nobody wants to listen. But if we will live lives of integrity, then they can take us at our word. And when God opens the door for us to share the gospel, they'll have confidence in what we say because they have confidence in us. So let's pray.